The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I am John Fort in for Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Stocks are ending this wild week with losses. The Nasdaq is tumbling 2.5%. A closer look at tech troubles is coming up. And the jobs report not helping these markets. Uh, 210,000 jobs added in November, not nearly as many as expected. So why are jobs taking so long to come back? And we're going to look at what jobs could look like in the future in the metaverse. Plus, we'll get the latest on the Omicron variant and the stocks getting hit by it. Travel, leisure, especially the casinos among today's worst performers. For more on the day's big movers, though, let's get right to Don Chu. All right, this is going to feel a lot different than what it did, John, a week ago on Black Friday during that big sell-off on a half day of trading. Remember that day we were talking about the Dow down eight, 900 points? Very different story today. We are focused extremely on technology and media stocks and the biggest ones out there within the NASDAQ 100. It's the reason why the NASDAQ composite is trying to hold this 15,000 level right now. We're down 370 points. That's nearly 2.5% declines. Meanwhile, it's about half that amount of a loss for the S&P 500, 45.20 the last trade there, and then only half a percent losses for the Dow Industrial. So a very, very different feel on this Friday sell-off versus a week ago on Black Friday, very NASDAQ-focused. Speaking of that NASDAQ, I mentioned the NASDAQ 100, the biggest stocks there. The reason why a lot of traders are paying attention to this trade right now is because the Invesco QQQ Trust, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, is down about two and one-thirds percent. But more importantly, at these levels here, we are hovering right around the 50-day moving average or 50-day average price on a rolling basis for this particular index and index ETF. This is a level that is seen as possibly significant by some traders out there. That's the reason why you're seeing this real battle develop right at these levels for price. And then just to kind of put some notion to the idea that it's not all a broad-based sell-off, individual stock stories do still matter in this market. Two different earnings reports and two different moves. Look at DocuSign, down about 40%, the worst performing NASDAQ stock, NASDAQ 100 stock by a wide margin. Meanwhile, Marvell Technologies up 18% on the heels of better earnings on that side of things. So, John, it's a market of stocks overall, but also a stock market. Watch those indexes and those individual movers. I'll send things back over to you. Dom, thanks. We will do that. Meanwhile, yields are on the move today, too. Let's get to Rick Santelli at the CME with more on that. Rick? Yes, John, a very strange day in the fixed income and treasury markets. If you look at some of the data points today, and let's start out with the ISM for service sector. At 69.1, as you see on this chart, it's the highest since record keeping began because the series began in 1997. That's a good thing. And we also know that the business survey that Steve was talking about was very powerful with jobs today. That's where we derived the 42 Unemployment rate, U3, the lowest since COVID hit. The other way you formulate the jobs report is the household survey uh, or the business survey. And the business survey was jobs light. So there was kind of a split decision here, even though there was some positive internals. And you see how the intraday tens look. Uh, 
the minute the equity markets opened at 9.30 Eastern, that's when rates started to move down. Rates were actually moving up a bit. They didn't seem to have a huge problem with the jobs report. It was the equity message they didn't like, and the equity message is most likely more covid Omicron related. And if you look at a two day of tens, the minute we traded under yesterday's 1.40 low yield, boom, more flight to quality came in. And it just made the situation more aggressive on the buying, pushing yields down. And if you open the chart to one week, that Friday when we learned about Omicron variant, you can basically see we've just been deteriorating up in price, down in yield ever since. And to really summarize how much the yield curve is flattened, how much selling is in the short end of the market, tens to two as you see on this one-week chart, are flattened 21 basis points should they close where they're currently trading. John, Mm. back to you. Yeah, part of that reacting to reactions. Rick, thanks. And I think we're going to talk some more about that this show. Usually tech slides when rates rise, but both are falling in today's sell-off. What's going on here? Why the disconnect? Well, joining me now are Joanne Feeney, partner and portfolio manager at Advisors Capital Management and CNBC senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. Joanne, uh, start with you. How different is this from what we've seen both earlier in the week and what we saw on Friday? Well, you know, we have a couple things going on at the same time here today. And I think most of it uh, on the equity side is really related to the Omicron fears. And two things have happened. Number one, we still don't have information on how severe illness this particular variant causes and how effective the vaccines will be. But what we seem to be learning now is that it is much more contagious. And so that widens the degree of uncertainty about the consequences of Omicron. Because if it is more severe in terms of illness, that makes things a lot worse. And while we might not expect a lot of lockdowns, it will drive people to stay home more just voluntarily. On the other side, if it's more mild, and it spreads more quickly, that actually would be a good thing. And so I think what we're seeing is folks take some risk off the table, and that's driving both uh, bond prices up and it's driving uh, particularly risky equities down. But it's not happening everywhere in tech. Tech is certainly feeling the brunt of it, but notice that there are some really solid tech names out there still, like Broadcom, for example, Qualcomm holding up well. So you really have to pick and choose uh, where you want to be exposed for your clients at this point. Mike, interesting to me that we're still seeing some strong reactions to the upside and the positive. Dom mentioned Marvell Technologies, for example. We saw uh, Snowflake uh, yesterday, I believe it was, as well. Sometimes when you get this negative sentiment, even the good news is reacted to as if it's not that good, but not necessarily the case here. What does that mean, if anything? No, you're right, John. I mean, well, what it does mean is that probably there's a higher threshold for investors to be pleased uh, by upside surprises. But, yeah, they still do get traction out there. I think what I'm seeing here is less in the Nasdaq a, a, a response to something macro as it is a rolling kind of valuation adjustment and loss of faith in some very, very highly valued presumed secular winners of the future. You saw DocuSign, you saw Zoom, uh, you've seen a lot of these uh, names that basically didn't do anything wrong. It's just that they were so heavily valued uh, and had such high momentum several months ago that you've had this long process of just kind of giving up the faith in that area. That's why it's also independent from what Treasury yields are doing. Yes, it has seemed at times this year on a day-to-day basis, the incremental dollar when everybody was concerned about economic growth would flow toward defensive 
growth tech and into bonds and bring yields down. And that therefore seemed as if it was the yields causing the tech to go up. It was really just much more the the way the rotations were orchestrated. Right now, I don't really think you're seeing that. Nobody quite believes we're going back into lockdown mode, that the pandemic favorites are all of a sudden going to burst back into favor. Uh, It's just a little more uh, uncertainty about when you want to bet on a uh, economic kind of reacceleration relative to, you know, what we've been seeing. So I think it's also about if you've been concentrated in these names that are imploding right now, you probably also own some Facebook. You probably also own some Apple. Everything kind of gets sold because you're in uh, you're in protection mode. Joanne, remember Reddit? Remember the time when we it it was all or at least it seemed like it was all about momentum and fundamentals weren't necessarily a thing. I mean, I, I keep hearing how much retail trading is in this market, how much margin, uh, how much options activity. And it seems like if you got new retail, you've got people who aren't used to things falling that much. So given that, what do you do strategically as an investor here? Right. You know, this is the first time some of these retail investors have seen uh, serious risks in the market and, and pullbacks. And, you know, one thing that, you know, we advise our clients, you know, and they, they do get worried at times like this is, is to remember their goals. Right, staying long term. Um, and, and in fact, it can be an advantage right now because if the retailers are panicking, some of these really good secular growth stories are coming on uh, uh, not just a sale, but a major sale, um, you know, potentially once in, 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 a, in a year kind of sale. So the important thing is to look at the real economic progress that we're making. The jobs report was a little bit mixed, but really the important thing is to look at that million jobs added uh, from the household survey. The other one, the business survey, was a net number, right? And and it's really reflective, I think, of the quits being so high. It's hard for employers to catch up to add people net uh, with all the quits that they're having. So the real economy is still chugging along in recovery. And even if Omicron you know, does prove to be more problematic, we're in a much better place than we were back in March of 2020 with the degree of vaccination that we have out there, even if it proves a bit less effective. So for the investor, Right. This is a time to really make sure to be exposed to good, solid secular growth, have some defensive positions and still stick with some of those reopening plays Mm. because reopening will continue, even if it's a little bit bumpy over the next, you know, three to six months. Mike, uh, I believe CNBC's Leslie Picker was telling us a few days ago that short interest was at relative historic lows lately. Uh, And boy, um, I wonder if that's changing right now. Have you noticed anything about short activity in these markets? And do you expect it to do anything different from here, given what we've seen? Um, What historically has happened or what are you seeing so far? Yeah, there was absolutely a very low short base in terms of outright positioning in the underlying stocks. Now, uh, that's basically just very much in sync with what you were saying before. High margin Uh, debt levels and generally low cash levels. Look, that's what a bull market engenders, right? That's kind of the way you adjust to prices going up 25% in the S&P with nothing but a 5% pullback. So it's understandable. I don't know that I've seen a lot of people getting super aggressive newly on the short side, except in certain areas. A lot of new IPOs really are greeted by heavy short interest right from the gate because you know why? It's worked. You look at Sweetgreen recently, look at any of the consumer or 
oriented IPOs, they've all had a very tough time going out of the gate because you do get a little bit of overexcitement uh, from the jump. And so I do see it happening. It wouldn't surprise me. Look, if this turns into something more than another 5% pullback, then you're absolutely going to see people reload on the short side. I just don't know that it happens in December because I think what, what I'm more seeing in the action is people just taking bets down on both sides of things. In fact, some neglected old tech stocks you might notice today, John, are actually up yeah. because nobody had been uh, been betting very heavily uh, on IBM, for example. Yeah, I see IBM uh, kind of leading the Dow right now with Microsoft on the downside. Yep. I don't know how often we've seen that, Joanne. I also noticed that GameStop and AMC both down more than 7% at the moment. Uh, the VIX has also been quite active. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, that VIX is really telling us uh, that the uncertainty has widened considerably and investors are right to take a little bit of risk off the table, you know, if they're worried about their short-term returns. And also, it's been such a strong year for the market. Pull back a little bit uh, is, is what they're thinking. But one thing to remember is, is when you look at today, right, the semiconductor stocks, a lot of them are actually doing relatively well. And I think that's, again, points to the real economy. Semiconductors have been in shortage. They're starting to catch up, but they have a long way to go, which means that the growth out of these companies is going to run ahead of long-term trends for a lot longer. And that's a good place to go and sit with. You know, an, uh, a Broadcom with a 2.6% yield, an IBM, you know, d practically double that. When you're pulling risk out of the market, you go to these kinds of names where you really have a lot of confidence that yeah. the growth is going to continue, plus you get a little bit of income which helps buffer you from these kind of stock price volatility. Yeah. Are the fundamentals back? Are the laws of physics back? Maybe a little. We'll see. Joanne Feeney, Mike Santoli. Thank you. Turning now to the Omicron variant. According to a report just out, Ireland is planning to impose new COVID-19 restrictions on the hospitality industry and home visits uh, due to very stark advice from health officials. This as the White House reports that the number of vaccinations here in the U.S. climbed to the largest single day total in more than six months. Our Meg Terrell is here now with the latest. Meg. Hey, John. Well, both of those headlines, of course, more to do with Delta than to do with Omicron, the concerning new variant. Ireland looking at a real dramatic spike in cases uh, which are very most likely driven by Delta, as are so many of the spikes we are seeing across Europe. Um, here in the United States, perhaps the fears of Omicron driving people to get vaccinated and boosted in larger numbers. We're also seeing a lot more kids uh, getting their first shots in the 5 to 11 age group. Uh, today, we've had uh, six additional cases of Omicron confirmed in Nebraska. Uh, there was one traveler who returned from Nigeria uh, and then it seems may have spread uh, the uh, variant to five household members, uh, and only one of those six people was vaccinated. None of them are in the hospital. Uh, but the cases across uh, the country accumulating now, multiple states reporting them, including five in New York last night. Governor Kathy Hochul, though, saying they do not plan any kind of lockdowns as a result. Here's what she said. We're not having shutdowns. We're not changing our protocols. We are continuing where we are, but making sure that we work in concert together and encourage people to get tested, get tested often, get the vaccination. And that's the message from federal health officials as well. Uh, John, also want to just point out some data that came out today in The Lancet in a commentary piece from some epidemiologists in South Africa showing how quickly Omicron cases are accumulating. You can see that white line there uh, is this new fourth wave. And you can just see how much 
more quickly it's going vertical. The case doubling time is 1.2 days for Omicron. That compares with one and a half days for Delta and 1.7 days for Beta, uh, the previous variant. So there's just concern about how quickly this is spreading there, even as we still have so many uh, more questions about the characteristics of this variant, John. Yeah, Meg, speaking of those questions, how far away is there any sense yet are we from uh, either from domestic or international numbers getting a sense of whether we need new vaccines or the relative effectiveness of existing vaccines on uh, lessening the effects of Omicron? Yeah, Dr. Fauci talked about this today in the White House COVID response briefing, uh, suggesting it could be about a week, uh, maybe slightly longer until we get the lab data showing how well at least the antibodies from people who are vaccinated neutralize Omicron. And then he said it could be another week or so until we get some real world efficacy data kind of looking at how well the vaccines are holding up. So really over the next few weeks, we're going to get a clearer picture of this and then we'll see what they decide to do in terms of whether they need to change the vaccines. Ah, well, Meg, thank you. Certainly the world needs clarity and the market could use it too. Uh, coming up, we have much more on this market sell-off, including some beat-down names to buy and what role the jobs report is playing in the market action today. And speaking of jobs, we're going to take a look at the growing metaverse economy, including its expansion into real estate sales. And as we head to break, take a look at the 30-year yield. It has fallen below 1.7% for the first time since January 6th of this year. The exchange will be right back. This is The Exchange on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Well, what a wild week for stocks. Started with the big Black Friday drop and the Dow shedding nearly 1,000 points that day on worries about the new Omicron COVID variant. Then it rebounded Monday, fell again Tuesday and Wednesday when Chair Powell said he's considering a faster taper and the CDC confirmed the first Omicron case in the U.S. Yesterday, the market shrugged off everything. And right now, the Dow's down about 100 points, but it's the Nasdaq lagging. So where do we go from here? How does today's disappointing jobs report factor into it? Joining me now are Sandy Villar, uh, the co-portfolio manager of the Villar Balanced Fund, and Michelle Meyer, B of A, Global Research Head of U.S. Economics. Welcome to both of you. Um, Michelle, first of all, reality check on the jobs report. Not as bad mm -hmm. as it looked? It wasn't. I mean, the headline was obviously a disappointment coming in well below expectations. But look at the details of the report. We have an unemployment rate that's at 4.2%. 
And that occurred despite the fact that the workforce actually increased. So what that tells us is that people entered the, the, the labor market and they were able to find jobs while the people who are sitting there unemployed were also able to find jobs. So that's actually a very encouraging um, dynamic in the labor market, which shows that it is still one that there's plenty of job opportunities. Wages are still on the rise. Um, and we expect that trend to continue for some time now. Sandy Villery from Villery Balanced Fund. Uh, you say that if things keep dropping, you're going to buy. But I wonder, you know, because you think Omicron possibly, you know, temporary. But what about sentiment? What about valuation? Might there be a valuation reset uh, even if things aren't as bad as they look? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting because with the Omicron uh, variant, you know, rippling through, um, what does this do to inflation? What does this mean for the Fed? Uh, possibly this could dampen uh, dampen the economy and maybe the Fed, you know, while they're expected to possibly raise, you know, 25 basis points twice by the end of 2022, maybe that gets pushed back a little bit. They've done a marvelous job of sort of decoupling the taper uh, with raising rates. So I'm, I'm trying to find opportunities. And, and frankly, we've got a couple of small mid cap uh, stocks that are hitting sort of, you know, trough valuations that are that are quite appealing. And I want to be more on the reopening play than, uh, than trying to play uh, defense at this particular moment. So, Michelle, any thoughts on what safety means at this point in this market? We, Rick Santelli was just telling us, you know, what, what yields are doing. Bonds have been weird up to this point. It looked like people were looking for safety in Apple uh, a couple days ago before they weren't. Uh, so, so what is safe? Well, I think this is, a, this is an economy and a market that is heavily influenced by the path of COVID. We have learned that time and again. It is still a pandemic economy, which means to Sandy's points, people are trying to sort out, do you look towards the reopening of the economy and see how that translates to equity performance? Or do you start to think about the fact that maybe the service society economy is going to have a bit of a hit if the variant actually does lead to this big increase of cases? So to me, I think what we have to continuously remind ourselves is that we are so very much influenced when we're thinking about the macro economy and the markets by the path of the pandemic. Huh. Sandy, uh, we were talking earlier about people reacting to reactions. And I'm noticing Bitcoin is down over 3%. I mentioned earlier that a couple of the, the headline meme stocks are down considerably. How much do you have to factor in people moving money from one thing to cover someplace else when you're thinking about what the action is in this market? It, I, I think that's very important. In fact, um, you could look at some of the uh, some of the big holders of a lot of the, the larger tech stocks um, and, um, you know, uh, whether it's ARK or whatever. And if they have to if they're going to get redemptions or have to do some things and they're going to have to find that money somewhere. And so that can that can cause the market to, uh, you know, further further uh, roll over a little bit. So, um, you know, you look at the S&P 500 and it's got what, 30 percent or in a handful of stocks that are, you know, so widely uh uh, owned because so many people own index funds these days that uh, it gets a little bit frightening when you when you you know see the concentration in just a literally a handful of those uh, you know big fang stocks etc. So I do think about that. What do you do with that, Michelle? If you're uh, if you're an investor at home and we've been talking all year about that increasing concentration, not just of tech but of particularly big tech names in the S and P, you've got. Perhaps some bargains in growth tech, depending on how you look at it now. But a lot of those larger tech names have held up quite well. Is that a risk if this market runs into real trouble? Well, look, I mean, I'm obviously thinking about it from an economics perspective, given that I'm an economist, not yes. a market strategist. But, um, you know, I, I would say, look, you know, when you think about the path of the cycle, 
um, you, you want to consider how wealth effects are playing a role. And this has been a year where performance has been extraordinary, right? We've seen a high amount of wealth accumulation, both from the financial markets and from the housing market. Um, so there's this feedback loop um, where the gains in the equity market have led consumers to feel more confident, more willing, and more able to spend. Um, but they are increasingly reliant on that well as well, not only for their purchasing power, but also for their sentiment. Um, so as economists, we're very, very focused on the path of the stock market because it will feed back into the economy, especially given how elevated uh, valuations are right now. Yeah, you got to give me the Bones McCoy there. Dang it, Jim, I'm an economist, not a market strategist. Uh, finally, <laughs> Sandy, you, you like a couple of names or at least one in hospitality, how do you expect, I'm talking about Caesars here, how do you expect um, uh, those stocks to recover that are being hit so hard in, in what Michelle uh, points out is still a COVID economy? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, Caesars is down 25% in the month. So this is kind of opening up an opportunity in, 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 in my mind to, uh, to, to buy some. Um, Tom Reeves has been an unbelievable CEO. Uh, not only, uh, in fact, my team was in uh, Las Vegas Monday, Tuesday. It's very crowded. Um, things look to be okay. Uh, but I think uh, that's the type of name that I want to buy when they've got uh, iGaming and, 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 and basically, uh, you know, gaming on your, on your app, um, being able to online gamble. Um, they've just spent $4 billion acquiring William Hill, the third largest sportsbook operator. So I think that uh, there's a lot of opportunities. There's doing some great things from a company-specific standpoint. And I want to be more in those uh, types of reopening plays than, than again, the stay-at-home plays. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in Caesars here. Well, I like the optimism. Uh, thank you, Sandy Villery and Michelle Meyer. Still ahead, fast food names holding up today despite concerns about the new COVID variant. But some of last year's pandemic winners aren't doing so hot. We will look at the restaurants most at risk. Peloton is on pace for its sixth straight week of losses, down 8% since Monday, more than 70% off its January high. But Deutsche Bank initiated coverage with a buy today, saying the hybrid work model extends to fitness as COVID fears subside. The analyst sees a 76% upside from here. And Walgreens popping here in the last few minutes as that company explores a sale of UK pharmacy chain boots. That's according to our colleagues at Sky News. The exchange will be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back to The Exchange. Major indices all lower right now, but mounting a bit of a comeback. The Nasdaq seeing its worst three-day start to December since 2002, when it finished the month down 10 percent. 
Let's check the sectors for the week. Utilities hanging on to the smallest of gains, while consumer discretionary and communication services are the biggest laggards. Here are some of the movers this hour. The Crane Chair's China Internet ETF, KWeb, is down more than 6% and on pace for its worst week since its inception in 2013. Sticking with China, shares of Didi plunging after the Chinese ride-hailing giant announced plans to delist from the New York Stock Exchange and prepare for a separate listing instead in Hong Kong. Those shares down by more than half since their June IPO. Fintech and payment names feeling the pain as well with SoFi, Square, Toast, PayPal all lower today. Now off between 40 and 50 percent from their recent highs. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel. Hi, John, and here's what's happening at this hour. A Michigan prosecutor says that a drawing of someone getting shot and the words, help me, was found on the desk of the accused shooter at Oxford High School. Ethan Crumbly's parents were called to the school because of the drawing and told to get their son into counseling. Crumbly has been charged with opening fire and killing four students at his high school. His parents have each been charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. The Portland Trailblazers have fired team president and general manager Neil Olshay. That's after an investigation into workplace misconduct. Details have not been released. Olshay has been the Trailblazers general manager since 2012. And Nebraska has become the sixth state to confirm cases of the Omicron variant. Health officials reporting six cases, including one person who recently traveled to Nigeria and likely exposed the other five. The CDC says that Omicron has now been detected in 40 countries worldwide. And on the news tonight, U.S. vaccine help for Africa and COVID travel restrictions coming for flights into the U.S. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. John, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. And now coming up, help wanted in the metaverse. We're going to take a closer look at the digital economy and the jobs that might help build it. The co-founder and COO of the metaverse platform is next. And take a look at some of the best performers on the S&P. Look, Green, Viacom, CBS is the leader, up about 4%. Walgreens Boots, Dollar General, Nucor, and Eastman Chemical round out the top five. The Exchange will be right back. Let's get a check on cryptocurrencies. They're having a volatile week alongside the markets. The two biggest coins, Bitcoin and Ethereum, selling off about 3 to 4% today, while Solana, one of the best performing cryptos this year, down about 7%. But all three still higher for the week, with Bitcoin hanging on to the slightest of gains. The drop in crypto prices over the last month, not stifling sentiment, though, for the metaverse. While it exists in a different reality, uh, the money flowing into it, very real. So are the economies created inside it, according to some proponents. Just the last week, Metaverse platform Sandbox raked in $85 million in sales of virtual real estate and other NFT-linked assets, according to reports. So, is this virtual economy for real? Joining me now is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Sandbox, Sebastian Bourget. Sebastian, um, I'm a metaverse skeptic in a way. Not all of the underlying trends, but the way some of them are put together. And part of what I'm wondering today, you can help me to understand is, how are these economies inside of the metaverse going to be affected by the real economy outside of it, right? So if you have uh, shortages or inflation or uh, even a tanking market outside, whether it's in Bitcoin or stocks, how much is that going to affect metaverse economies? Do we know yet? 
We, we certainly do, and we've seen at Sandbox, uh, as you saw here, a large growth of the sale of virtual real estate. But beyond that, large growth and development of the ecosystem of people who are flowing to become new digital architects, new builders, new house designers, new land and game designers into our ecosystem. And that that's new jobs that uh, came out of the pandemic, people losing their job into the real world and now turning out to of those real opportunity with virtual land, developing new uh, set of skills through the different creation tools, which are skills that are uh, becoming accessible uh, quite rapidly since this tool does not require any uh, strong skill, just being a 3D artist, uh, you can create games, experience, shows, uh, mm -hmm. art galleries, museum without okay. any programming. It's, it's quite interesting. Very interesting. L let's take real estate, for example, though. A lot of real estate in the real world is based on scarcity, right? Part of the reason why it's no. so expensive to buy a house in Silicon Valley is it's right up against the water and, you know, commute times to work. How does scarcity work in a metaverse where, at least in theory, you could either create more land or just create a whole different world with, with the same home and the same trees? Well, just like you described, we're using blockchain as a technology. It's a public ledger that enables to establish a trust system and recreate digital scarcity. So we have established this will be ever only 166, 464 lands and never anymore in the sandbox. And that is the basis of trust established and that creates this digital scarcity. Then from them, location becomes a key factor into this virtual land as both uh, brands, IP, celebrities are coming, but essentially also new communities, uh, content being born into the crypto space or the metaverse itself. Okay. So, so in a sense then, are the quality of the technology of the underlying metaverse platform combined with maybe the uh, existence and engagements of celebrities or other people who you want to virtually interact with, uh, are, are those effectively the scarcity in metaverse real estate and perhaps metaverse presence? What's going to create the value over time? Well, the value is really driven by location first, scarcity, of course, but more essentially by the content that will be uh, produced by uh, those builders, etc. Like what we're all looking for in the metaverse is new kind of more rich, more uh, social, more immersive experience that can help us to get closer. And Sandbox Metaverse is offering a place which offer more culture, more brands, a lot of user-generated content as it will be uh, built 99% by users, by people, a place that is fun. And it's, it's doable in a much, much faster way than into the physical world. Like you can bring things that are beyond imagination in a matter of days or week, which mm. really accelerates the, the landscape of opportunities here. To what degree are we going to need to have sub-metaverses, like Roblox, for example, is perhaps largely for kids. In a way, you don't want everybody in the space where your kids are going to be. You want just kids in there or people who have been vetted in some way. And certainly other communities uh, of adults might be looking for a Las Vegas-like metaverse experience with very different needs. Do those need to be entirely different environments and do they need to be judged as such? I think that's definitely the key idea around the metaverse. It's a place where a lot of different audiences and uh, 
uh, culture needs will coexist. And you can find that across multiple virtual worlds. The decentralized one allow users to transfer their asset, their identity as an avatar, etc. But in Sandbox, with 166, 464 lands, as you walk by with your avatar, you might encounter a place dedicated for sport fan, a place which is a concert venue, an art gallery, a museum, a game, a social hub, all of that within just walking distance with your avatar. Mm. Well, and fascinating a key stuff. Yeah. We, uh, maybe with Roblox, a key differentiator, I would say, like, is how the value generated through the contribution of users who are building the land or engaging with it is being redistributed. Is essentially, it goes entirely back to the community, entirely back yeah. to the users. Yeah. Well, it, we'll see how those network effects play out. Certainly very interesting. A little bit of uh, gamification, stuff from video games, stuff from real estate, <laughs> lots of different places. Sebastian, thank you. Thank you, John. Coming up, stocks and bonds falling in tandem today as investors digest a disappointing jobs report. Today's early reversal caps off a volatile week. So how should you be positioned ahead of Monday's trade? That's next. The Exchange. Be right back. Stocks largely selling off today, capping a wild week for the markets. And while the Nasdaq is today's biggest decliner, the Dow is on pace for its fourth straight weekly loss for the first time since September 2020. But traders are finding opportunities in the wreckage. Joining me now with where she's finding opportunities is Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. Gina, opportunities? Where do you see them? What do you like? Well, right now, you know, I think given we have so much to unpack from everything we've learned this week, uh, but I think the biggest thing that we're going to face is the fact that uh, the pandemic is going to have a long tail to it. It's going to continue to have surprises like Omicron. Um, and we're actually betting in Thermo Fisher and Abbott Labs because we think testing is going to be the mode that sort of gets us uh, from fears about whatever the new variants are to eventual solutions. Okay. Um, and what has you more kind of concerned as an, an overall gauge of what happens next, the jobs report or what we heard or didn't hear from the Fed? So, you know, I think that <laughs> the jobs report is, this, I think this jobs report will be the most scrutinized report um, that we will see in a long time. Uh, its top number wasn't that great, but when you look into the jobs report, it actually signals uh, an economy that is still uh, that is still recovering. And if anything, uh, it reflects the fact that there are actually a lot of jobs open and the disappointing number was because companies couldn't find people to fill those jobs. So that's kind of an interesting point. Um, but that means that wages will be growing, inflation is growing, and you get the, the, the story from the Fed that they're going to begin tapering with the intention of hiking rates by 2022. I think that's going to take a lot of froth off the market. And the biggest concern that we have is that the growthier parts of the market are just very very, very, very highly priced. Um, and if we see monetary support uh, start to wane in 2022, support for these crazy multiples will also wane. At what point, and maybe it's, I mean, it's certainly different stock by stock, but does valuation coming down and fundamentals still being good cross and you start to get really great values, perhaps in names that are growing at a pretty good clip, but were just valued at a ridiculous uh, multiple? Well, so you're talking about the process of growing into your <laughs> growing into your multiple, or maybe falling <laughs> into uh, stock-wise uh, a value situation. Yeah. 
Right. So you can get that in both directions, certainly. Um, but I, I think that that it will be a while before we have the falling into sudden value. Um, if anything, most the market from the beginning of the pandemic was really counting on companies growing into their multiples, that all of this would be temporary. We would eventually, we would eventually see this unlocked uh, uh, demand come into the market. And we have seen some of that. But I think one thing we learned this week is that consumers and households are not spending down the massive savings um, that they have amassed during the pandemic. Um, and that's a little worrisome because it means that we may not grow into some of those multiples and we will have to see some of them come down. What if we start to see M&A on the back of some of these multiples coming down. Is that something that investors should pay attention to as a signal or perhaps just ignore because who knows where all this bottoms out? Well, right now, I think that there are just too many dynamics at play. I think M&A would be a consolidation signal and would send a signal to the market that might be time to take your chips off the table. Uh, but uh, if anything, there are still big parts of the market that are quite healthy and trends that were in place before the pandemic um, that are still going to be uh, continuing. You know, you look, for example, at what's selling off. You have huge parts of the tech market selling off right now, but that's probably the most uh, optimistic story that's out there that isn't going away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that you have to look at this on a stock-by-stock -stock basis. I guess I was partly wondering if M&A could signal a bottom at some point because hey, if, if the folks at the corporate level doing some research are buying because they see value, maybe others should as well, but do you think no? Well, I think that M&A is, you're right, it could certainly signal that, but you also have this sort of mass amount of uh, SPAC issuance that may actually signal <laughs> other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I worry a little um, that the excess money that we threw, the support that we threw at the pandemic, which was obviously very badly needed at this point, um, is just froth in the market that needs to be taken out. Um, and some of the valuations are not going to be justified. Yeah. Well, certainly lots of froth out there for sure. Gina Sanchez, Chentico Global. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, shares of DraftKings have been cut just about in half over the past three months, hitting a 52-week low after its CEO fires back at short seller Jim Chanos. But that's not the only gaming stock falling today. That's next. The Exchange. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Casino stocks lower today, getting hit pretty hard over the last month. Contessa Brewer joins me now with what's behind that. Hi, John. Good to see you. Yeah, look, sports betting stocks are just getting punished today. You've got Penn. Let's show the chart right now of Penn stock, which was off at one point like 8%. I, I got to be honest with you. I, don't, I need my glasses. I can't even see that. Can you see what that says? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> see, Caesars is off. The, the, okay, Penn is down 5%. DraftKings is off by even more than that, 10% at this point. I swear the pandemic has had a real impact on my eyesight. These are names that are struggling, not just this week, but let's take a look at those same stocks over the last month, and you've got them down 20 to 40 percent. 
A couple more names slammed over the last month. Look at Bally's, which has really invested heavily in sports and regional sports networks, trying to make a name for itself. Scientific Games, which is a digital and games maker. And GAN, which powers the tech and the payments for some of these platforms. The overall move out of riskier stocks to value is hurting these growth names in gaming. Investors are really nervous about high tax rates in states like New York at 51 percent. Hold rates have been challenging this fall. You've heard me tell you this before. The NFL favorites have won. They've covered their spread. And the persistent questions for the group is about how much money they are throwing around to acquire customers. Tyler Matheson with the save. Yeah. You, oh, these are reading glasses. If these only I had glasses. something in front of I me to read. No, no, no. Now I need my distance glasses oh, as well. I can't help with that. What a gentleman. Thank you. Cavalier. Thank you so much. FanDuel's Amy Howe says this kind of marketing spend is just it's just unsustainable. This week, the head of the American Gaming Association told me, though, look, you're seeing major investment in marketing, not only to win new customers, but look, John, they know the illegal market is still bigger than the legal one. So you got to lure those customers back. And you do that how? By making sure they know that there are legal options. Huh. Speaking of legal options, DraftKings, which is down 10 percent at the moment, Thank Something. you for telling me. It wasn't even there. It wasn't even there. <laughs> I, I, but I looked it up for you. 10% at the moment. Um, you know, some pressure from Chanos. What's going on there? Well, so Chanos said yesterday he has a short position in DraftKings in large part because of its marketing spend, even at four times the revenue. He says it's unsustainable. It would lose money. But then we looked. It was the third quarter that he was judging. Always the weakest seasonally quarter because you don't have sports until uh, football till September. And a lot of marketing spend. I, I redid the numbers. If you look at it on an annualized rate, you might come up using Chanos's scenario. You might come up with a profit of $330 million. Jason Robbins, the CEO of DraftKings, not happy about it. They said, look, his math is all off. We're not at 30 times the revenue. He told me this the morning on Squawk Box. We're l- less than half that. What's he talking about? Huh. Well, perhaps an opportunity there for somebody. Right. Contessa, thank you. Sure. November, meanwhile, was rough for the dining stocks, and with Omicron creep beginning, could be even, even worse December. But there are some surprising bright spots. Look at that next. Welcome back. Some restaurant stocks taking a hit in November, and with Omicron spreading, could it be another harsh winter for the industry. Kate Rogers joins me now with that story. Hey, Kate. Hey, John. Good to see you. Well, a lot of unknowns about what this variant means for the industry, including how it will impact consumer confidence and ongoing labor challenges. But stocks are signaling an interesting trend. Casual names experiencing big losses so far for the month of November. No surprise there. The sector's been hard hit and is more typically associated with a sit-down experience and less with delivery and takeaway. Red Robin, Bloomin' Brands, Brinker, all down more than 15%. Darden and Cheesecake Factory holding up a bit better than that, around up uh, five, down percent, uh, 5% rather in November. Now, the big pandemic winners like Chipotle, Wingstop, Papa John's also down between one and a half and seven percent for the month. This despite really knowing how to operate in a pandemic setting. Domino's was the outlier here seeing some gains last month. The fast food players, though, like McDonald's, Yum! Brands, Restaurant Brands International, all really having a much better time. It begs the question if people are shying away from delivery apps, which can have more expensive fees in favor of hitting the drive through instead. Now, for the year, the best performer so far, the pizza names, Papa John's, followed up by Domino's, the worst performer, Brinker, parent of Chili's and Maggiano, is having a really hard time. Again, a casual name, kind of an experience that people are shying away from. Now, thinking like an investor here, though, I wonder, is there a piece 
that some might be missing about how well some of these companies have adjusted to the pandemic and how good a playbook they might have for whatever scenarios happen in the winter. Yeah, and that's where those pandemic winners that we brought up, Wingstop, Chipotle, Domino's, and Papa John's. Domino's, remember, doesn't work with any of the aggregators uh, either. It's doing that all in-house. They really did well in 2020 and for most of 2021 because they know how to operate in more restrictive environments. They've done a lot with digital takeaway and delivery, and people have really flocked them because they have a nice user experience that's very easy and simple. Sit-down-wise, who do you think is the best uh, adjusting? It's such, it's such a hard call, and we've seen, uh, players like a Brinker with Chili's do virtual brands. It's just wings. And that's been a bright spot for them because that's a virtual brand you can use on your phone. I think it's going to be a long time before we see indoor sit down come back in a really big way. But that sector was hard hit before the pandemic, before we even knew what COVID was. So it's been a challenge for them to come back. Then the pandemic hits, you know, completely new operating environment. I think they've done well in trying to pivot. Could be an opportunity, you know, <laughs> to get in while they're, they're battered and, and hammered stocks. But we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, spicy chicken still hot? Chicken in general? Oh, of course. I All mean, right. when is it not? The chicken sure. war is ongoing, John, forever and ever. <laughs> well, with that, I mean, appropriately, that'll do it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Hey! Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.